Welcome, everyone, to the Football Outsiders Draft live stream here on April 5th, 2022. I'm your host every Tuesday, Mike Tanier, along with my co-host, Derek Klassen. How you doing, Derek? Not so bad. I mean, we're, we're, what, three weeks away now? Something like that, four weeks away, I guess. So, I mean, we're getting there. We're on the home stretch. Feels Only good. 278 days left till the draft, or that's how it usually feels when you hit early April. <laughs> also, also joining us this week is former NFL scout. You've seen him on the Big Ten Network. You've seen him elsewhere. Russ Landy, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks uh, for having me on. I always love to talk football, so it's fun. You're part of the uh, the wine bar uh, uh, path to, uh, <laughs> to to this podcast. Just about everyone who was in that wine bar on that particular night at the scouting combine has now been on the on the podcast. I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign for the show, but hey, let's talk football, <laughs> right? Right, right. People don't know this. I don't even know if Derek knows this, but that place is sort of taking over for Moe's, I think, in terms of the, uh, the the wild and crazy shenanigans at the at the combine. No doubt, especially with the nights being uh, different now yes, because of all the workouts taking place. All the reporters are trying to find somewhere to be where there are other people. Yeah, and it was a little bit it was a little bit of a struggle this year because everybody was an hour later. But uh, so we got a couple of things we're going to be doing today's uh, uh, show is called Sleepers and Square Pegs. And we're going to be looking at sleepers and we're going to be looking at square pegs. And I need to remind everyone that. Football Outsiders NFL Draft coverage is presented by Underdog Fantasy. Use the promo code FO40, that's FO40, at Underdog to double your deposit up to $100. Links to Underdog Fantasy can be found in the description of this video below. Go play with us today. All sorts of props, not just football props there. You can do baseball fantasy. I'm guessing there's golf stuff. I haven't checked recently. There was all kinds of college basketball there. Check out Underdog Fantasy, folks. Also, if you're listening, if you're a regular, if you're a newcomer, please like the show, favorite the show, leave a review for the show wherever you are watching, whether it's on, uh, you know here at Football Outsiders, YouTube, or anyplace else. I have no idea where podcasts and live streams go. You're watching it, listen to it somewhere. Please interact with us. Engage with us. We need it. And before we start with today's sleepers and things like that, big news in the NFL yesterday, a trade. And we were complaining about this Eagle Saints trade before we went on the air, that there were too many numbers running around in the trade. It was it was almost overcomplicated. But uh, just to rehash the trade, the Saints Eagles trade, the Saints received the 16th and 19th pick in this year's draft, plus a six rounder. The Eagles received a 22 for uh, the 18th overall pick, excuse me, 2023 first round pick, a 2024 second round pick. This year's third round pick, that's the 101st pick overall, and a seventh rounder just to make sure everything balances out just perfectly. Blockbuster trade. I'm looking for reactions. I've got my own reactions. I think we all have a reaction. Russ, I'm going to start with you. Your thoughts on this trade? Well, I think it's sort of twofold. To me, I mean, I look at the Eagles, and I think they're looking at it like, hey, we have an opportunity to get great value, get an extra pick next year. And next year is the year where they will have to figure out if Hurts is the guy. They're going to give him one more year. If he is not, they'll go get one next year. They'll have the capital. Right. And I think for the Saints, they're sort of it's sort of a throwing a dart. They're hoping and praying that they can get enough ammunition to move up and get a quarterback, which I think will be Kenny Pickett, um, because I think they feel sort of a need to get a quarterback to carry on the Drew Brees and keep that team winning. So you think it's a quarterback? I can't envision in this draft the need to go up when, to me, there's three or four good offensive tackles. Yeah. There's two or three pass rushers that are very good. 
and there's about 30 wide receivers who are really, really good. So is there another position, unless you're talking just the corner, but I don't know if you trade up and go get two ones to move up in the top four or five to get a corner. So to me, it screams Kenny Pickett. I mean, I'm pretty much in line with everything Russ just said. Um, I mean, from the Eagles perspective, like you already have another first round pick anyway. So it's not like it really hurts them to lose one, which I think is great. And then, like you said, they'll have ammo next year in case that hurts is not who they thought they was. They can maybe go up and get Stroud or, or Young or whoever it is. Um, from the, the Saints perspective, I do think it's for a quarterback. However, I think if it's going to be for a quarterback, they're going to move up again. I, I don't think they're really going to get who they want where they're sitting now um and this isn't unprecedented you know the bills did this um five years ago i guess to get josh allen so i imagine that if they're going to get a quarterback they're going to have to move again but obviously at this point they they have the capital to do that yeah now they do exactly yeah they have to move past the falcons right to get the quarterback they want that seems like the sweet spot or, or even really if they want to get really really aggressive and make sure they get their guy if their guy is picket in particular i feels like they have to move past the panthers really now, here's the thing. I looked up on some of the charts that you have in terms of value, and the two firsts that they have right now, which I guess is 16 and – I've already forgotten, 16 and 18, I think. You can move up into, like, the top five. So a good example is they could move up to the Giants' second pick, the seventh overall pick, or the uh, the Giants' uh, pick at number five. You could get that. That would put you safely past the Panthers. You probably have Kenny Pickett at that point. Um, there's a couple of problems with that. First of all, the Giants are almost on record saying they're having a hard time getting uh, the money, the, the cap space, to sign their two first-round picks as it is. The Giants have screwed things up so badly they can't get a third first-round pick. They can't fit them under the cap right now because Dave Gettleman did such wonderful work with uh, with their, their salary cap along the way. So they might not be interested in Okay, so maybe they aren't, but maybe the Jets are. You go all the way up to four, or there's somebody else up there, or you have faith that you – or maybe it's the Panthers themselves who say, oh, all that capital? Heck with it. We'll move down. Um, you've now Can traded- I add in something there, Mike, is if the Saints are this desperate to get up and get the yeah. quarterback, I got to believe they might take a veteran or two in return as part of the mm-hmm. trade that the Giants may want to get rid of. I mean, if you're that desperate – to go get a quarterback, would you take a marginal starter that's going to get $10 million this year or two marginal starters that might add up to $10 million and just say, hey, we'll put them on a roster for a year because if that's what it takes to get a quarterback, we'll do it. Imagine Saquon Barkley just getting tossed into this trade. <laughs> it would be imagine- a fitting end to an era. And the Saints taking on another contract at this point, just to broker the deal. And they, they've cleared enough cap space this year that they can like throw another contract into it. But it, but now your problem is you've traded three first-round picks. You've traded three first-round picks for either Kenny Pickett or I'm still not sold as Pickett. I, I have a feeling that they want to get up there and they want to get an, an Evan Neal or a Nikki Aquanu or somebody like that. They want to fix their left tackle situation for the next decade. Is there anybody at the top of that class that you say, I'm going to trade three, three first-round picks for? Ooh, that's a hard I – mean, I, I like the tackles that you're talking about, and I love the corner for three first-round picks right. for an unknown. That's a hard sell. If I'm uh, the head coach and GM having that discussion, that's a hard sell for me to say I'm ready to mortgage that to go get one guy. Yeah. And right now they've moved up to get Trevor Penning. That's like, I look at this and like those tackles are off the board. So all they did was leapfrog the Chargers right now. It's not a wide receiver because you'd need the Eagles number 15 
to guarantee they don't just block you on their wide receiver. So you don't you don't do that. So th- that's all they've done right now. I uh, got to take a couple questions here. Patrick Sealy says, "I hope the Pats get John Mechie in the second round because Mac and Mechie played together. We're doing some Patriots mocks, so stay tuned, Patrick." Is Mechie going to be there? I guess is the first question in the second round. I would probably think so, just because there's like a billion receivers, um, and it feels like to me that he's not that he's bad, but he's. Right. It seems like he doesn't have quite the same hype that a lot of these other guys have, like in that range, you know, Sky Moore or you know George Pickens at the end of the first or whatever. So, I would have to imagine Mechie is, is more likely to be there than not. And I think a lot of it also comes down to the cleanliness of the knee. I mean, he's mm, had the yeah. surgery. Yeah. Are they looking at it saying it's clean and he will be back and it's not going to be a future issue? Or have they seen future issues to where they're saying, hey, with this guy, we're not going to consider till the third or fourth. Right. And Patrick Sealy also adds, you know, he loves this draft. These quarterbacks are going to be overdrafted. As you, and if you compare them to a Heisman Award winner, Lamar getting drafted at 32. I, I think that's the case. I think no matter how we slice this, we're going to see Wilson and Pickett going sometime before the Saints go. Um, and that we're probably going to see Ritter and some other guys going really early in this draft. I would love to be a team. I, I, I've been working on a mock draft. I'd love to be the Buffalo Bills anytime. But especially in this draft where you can sit there and filter feed at the bottom and say, we needs are very esoteric to us. Just whatever awesome player falls to us, we can just take them and just put them on the roster. Well, this is where smart teams make their money. Right. They don't start reaching. They trust their board and the good players fall to them. I mean, I know. Perfect example, given they haven't been winning as much, but the Chargers just sort of sat back last year and got their number one tackle. He just fell to them. They didn't expect him to get there, but when he was there, it wasn't even a debate. So you just sort of hope that if you're not prioritizing positions that teams always go up and get, that you can get a really high-end player that you have ranked highly without having to use any capital to go get him. Kind of the opposite of what the Saints are doing right now. Yep, it's it's, but it does show you, I mean, to me at least it looks – the New head coach, quarterback position unknown, front office wants to make sure they get that quarterback so they can be solidified for the next 15 years. I think that's all they're hoping to do is if they get that quarterback, then they know they should be job security-wise good for the next decade. Yeah. And this is one thing I wanted to ask you while we had you on. You've been in NFL war rooms, draft war rooms. You know, it's April 5th. Draft is only a few weeks away. What is actually happening? NFL – personnel department draft rooms this time of year? Well, it varies a little because the uh, pro days are still going. There's still a few that are going on. But in general, most teams are knee-deep in their final meetings. Um, Some teams, those meetings will include the coaches, the scouts, the executives. Some teams, it's just the executives. But you're really trying to put your final touches on the board. Your board was 85 90% done before the combine. Mm -hmm. Now you're adjusting it based on the interviews, the pro days. The medical people are coming in and saying – this guy's not going to be able to last. We need to move these seven guys off the board, character information, all of those things. It's just fine-tuning. And I think the other thing that people don't understand, that I'm, you guys I'm sure know this, is the NFL draft board is not just a one to 300. Right. It's a vertical and horizontal draft board and wait, or steps, whatever you want to call it. Teams are trying to refine that, make sure each step, they have the guys on the right step. And then on those steps, put them in the order that they believe those players would fit in their organization. So a lot of that's going on. And there's a lot of cross-checking, not film-wise, but getting on the phone character-wise. If you have debates on players or if you have medicals, you're either bringing them in if you're allowed to or if you're past that 30 and you can't fit them, you're getting them to a local hospital and you're having your doctor go there 
and do the medical if need be, or a doctor you trust to make sure every bit of medical is done and complete. So you never take a kid that you don't know everything about. And on that, you talk about that horizontal draft board. It's almost like tear maker on, yes. on the internet. Right. And you know, what's funny is years ago, I want to say it's about 10 or 12 years ago, there was actually an article, I think it was in the New York Times, where they broke down how good NFL teams are at breaking the players into tiers, yet how poor they are at ranking the players on those tiers. Right. And, and it really, those tiers, it does make it very valuable because it keeps you from making mistakes, from falling in love with players and helps you as an organization get some clarity as mm -hmm. to, hey, here's the four guys, here's the seven guys, and sort of rank them based on a number of different factors. But you have to be really sure you have good scouts helping you build that board. Otherwise, your tiers are going to be all screwed up. Wow. Wow. Uh, what a, that, that's the difference between what they do in the NFL and what we do in the media where we pretty much have to rank the guys – because that's it. You have to put the website together and it's got to yes. look a certain way. And if we put tiers out there, we would baffle uh, people's you know, heads would explode. People's heads would explode. I think football outsiders, people get it because they love spreadsheets, but like I, other fans would be a little bit like confused by it. What do NFL teams focus on that those of us in the media scouting world tend to completely ignore or overlook? Well, I think the intangibles is probably the biggest factor. Um, yeah. People talk about character, and I'll give you guys a great example. Of this there's a kid that we all know, um, Jimmy Smith. I want to think is his name. Plays for the Ravens. Been in the league about ten or twelve years. Okay. Um, and this is a kid that when he came out, the media. And I'm not trying to knock the media. I'm just sort of showing the difference. Okay. There was a lot of discussion about this as a bad character kid and a number of different things like that. When in reality, NFL teams had done their homework. And everybody at Colorado raved about him as a young man. They just said the reality is he smokes pot. <laughs> and that was a big part of he had been suspended for a few games because mm -hmm. of that. So the narrative became that he was a bad kid, whereas mm -hmm. football character was very different. And I think intangibles proved to be the difference for the success and failure of most players in the NFL. And I don't think people and they, and rightfully so they, they don't have access to the information yeah. in the media. Don't get all that information. They don't find out about learning issues, home issues, who he is with his teammates, issues that have come up within the locker room. And those things play an enormous part in a player's success or failure when they get to the next level. So that to me is the biggest difference between what the media can't really do because they don't get that access. Cause even myself, and I have a lot of connections there are things that I can't get. I'm working on something now, trying to get one piece of information, and it has been a chore, and right. I still haven't gotten it. So that's the biggest difference. The intangible side is brutal. The medical, intangible, all of that. Yeah, teams aren't exactly sharing the inside dirt that they went to get. No, exactly. And, I mean, I get a lot of stuff on a lot of guys, mm -hmm. but certain things are just hard. And in today's day and age, because of HIPAA, medical's even harder. Years ago, every team had everything there and they'd zip you a file. Now teams are very scared to do that because all the files they get are signed off on by HIPAA from the schools mm -hmm. to give access to NFL people. Now that stuff's not accessible just to anybody. It's signed off specifically to give access to NFL teams. The flip side of this is, you know, us in the media, especially when we have to fill an hour long show or when they have to fill <laughs> An hour every day on the NFL network, we wind up, or, or the, the folks on Twitter, some of whom are brilliant, some of whom are. Uh, but like, uh, what do we wind up obsessing over that the NFL just just is like whatever that is, that does not matter to us? 
Well, I think statistics is a big thing. People get into all conference, all this. He put up this many yards. Right. Um, teams get very, very focused. And I don't think that the media, I think it's a lot harder for, like you talked about, you have to rank them for everybody. Right. Every team has different criteria right. because of the scheme they play, the things that they as an organization feel are important to their organization. Right. So most teams, if you took their top 100 picks their, or top 100 players on the board, they'd be dramatically different. Yeah. And the other thing is very few teams ever have more than 17 or 18 players with first-round grades. So you hope that your guy, one of your first rounders, is still there if you're picking in the late 20s, 30s. Usually there will be, but it's not a guarantee because a lot of teams are very, very particular about giving first round grades. You have to really be exceptional in so many categories. They'd rather like slide down into the second round at that point and just grab a different guy on the tier. And yeah, not- exactly. Yep. It, it's it. I think until people sit through the meetings and yeah. see a board being built. And it's not to knock anybody. Trust me, I understand completely. If you're not there, how would you know? But when you see the boards being built and you hear about the arguments people are having in buildings over certain players, um, it becomes readily apparent um, why things are the way they are once you see the inside. But being on the outside, it's, uh, (laughs) it's really tough. And I mean, just to give you an example, I mean, it's just like, you think you know when you come off the road as a scout, you're like, oh, this guy's going to be a high guy. You get into your meetings, you present your player, you talk about this, and your coach is like, yeah, we met with him at the, the, the all-star game. We talked with him. We just don't think he's going to mesh with our staff. Hmm. And it's like, okay. All right. right. Well, and, and, and it's not to knock the decision either way, but as we all know in life, why would you bring somebody into your building that you already know coaches and staff-wise, just personality-wise, it's going to be a bad issue. Why wouldn't you try to address it and go get a player who's going to fit your culture. Right, right. That makes sense. And Patrick Sealing uh, points out the senior role matters a lot, I think. And I think it does matter. Is that, is that accurate? It does matter if you take it for what it is. Okay. Which is the interviews are unbelievably important. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to cross-check, hey, we have all these players. These are the athletic grades we've given them. What do we see athletically on the field? If we see uh, – say you saw the sauce kid. Say mm-hmm. he had been, been there and you guys had – fours on him as a bad athlete and he went out there and crushed it you better go watch a film again say okay what are we missing whereas if the athletic grade you see matches up with what you see on the field you feel better you do have to be cautious though because for every player who goes there and crushes it and really excels there are also guys who became good players like Richard Sherman who Mm -hmm. was demolished the week of the senior bowl (laughs) And that was because he was a one-year corner in college. Right. So he came there and he's going against polished high-end guys and they chewed him up and spit him out. So you, there's value in it, but you have to be cautious because some of the best players there in the last 20 years, guys like Alfonso Smith, the corner out of Wake Forest, who went, I think, in the second round to the Panthers, or first round of the Panthers, uh, Andre Caldwell, receiver yes. out of Florida, who ended up playing in the league. Jay Cutler had an unbelievable week down there. So mm-hmm. there are guys that kill it. And struggle, and there are also guys that kill it, like Russell Wilson, and yes. have a good career. Right. So you have to everything you have to take with a grain of salt. You really got to just make sure it acts as a cross check that it matches what you're seeing on film to just like the combine to make sure you're not overemphasizing or underemphasizing a certain part about the player. Going to take one more question before we go on to our sleepers and square pegs, and Jim Stetschulte says, is the trend of strong wide receiver classes of recent years here to stay? 
Due to the shift toward pass offense, focus on quarterback development with seven on seven camps, etc. I'm just going to say, yeah. No question. Yeah, it, it, if every college team is going to play in 11 personnel at the heaviest, probably a lot of 10, mm-hmm. like just naturally, you're just going to have more guys playing, playing receiver. And if you have more guys playing a thing, more yeah. of them are going to be good. Like it's that it sounds very simple and stupid, but ultimately that's all that it is. And then also like the seven on seven point, the fact that like everyone is doing this stuff out, out of season now, right? even if it's not like real football reps, even if it's just these incremental gains that you're getting, after a decade of everybody doing this, that's it's going to add up and it's going to matter. So I have to imagine it's going to continue until, I don't know, some major rule changes or something. I would also add the other part of that is it's just more players getting a chance to show their skills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the old days, you had two receivers on the field. The right. third and fourth guy, no matter how good they were, even if they were NFL caliber, if they catch one pass in their career, they're not getting an opportunity. Right. Now three and four guys are getting out there. You're getting a chance, more exposure. So there's no doubt that you're going to see more and more receivers coming out at a higher level and ready to play. Right. And I agree. All right. Time for our next segment, our title segment, sleepers and square pegs. Sleeper is one of those words. Like when we talk about like like what, what used to be a sleeper 20, 25 years ago was like a second round pick from a mid major. because <laughs> you know, Back then it was like you had Mel Kuyper and, and you had a couple other people. And if you knew anything about the draft, except the Heisman trophy winner and the top five quarterbacks and running backs, everybody else was a sleeper. Now I don't know what a sleeper, like I'm afraid when we do these sleepers, we're going to go on, on draft Twitter and draft Twitter is going to be like, that's not the kid from Juco that I consider a sleeper. Who's like, you know, you know, is a, is a curling superstar who just took up football three weeks ago. That's a sleeper. So, when I asked uh, Derek and Ross to to pick sleeper, sleepers, like just get somebody who you think of as a sleeper. Let's not overthink this a little bit. And uh, so each of us got to pick a sleeper. And uh, let's take a look at who we picked. Here it comes. It is coming. <laughs> there we go. An, an exciting trio of sleepers there. And I'm going to start with Derek. This would be Brown quarterback E.J. Perry, correct? Yes. Um, so he was down at the Shrine Bowl. Um, and to be fair, the Shrine Bowl, you know, the, the pack of quarterbacks that they had there was not great. But he was far and away the best one. He was the only one that was, I think, consistently playing on time. Um, you know, granted, it's not like some insane system that they're running on, you know, a week of practice or whatever. But he was the only dude playing on time. Um, incredibly accurate. Also a really, really good athlete. I think he ran better than everyone except for Ritter. Um, at the combine, obviously Willis didn't run, um, but he's just, he's a really good athlete, um, fairly accurate. He doesn't have like the best arm, and sometimes he's going to try to do too much. But I mean, by the end of like you know the sixth, seventh round, when you're just trying to find a guy who could, you know, do a lot of the playmaking stuff that everybody in the NFL is obsessed over, um, and then have like enough of the accuracy and, and quick timing that you know you're getting like NFL reps from your your backup or or whatever. I, I feel like he's like a nice gamble to to have. Yeah, he looked pretty good. I thought he looked pretty good in some of the workouts at the at the combine, et cetera. Uh, well, Russ, have we stolen a future CFL quarterback from you here with with Perry or what? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, firstly, I got to say, EJ's an interesting kid because I mean, this is a kid hand over mask, played for his dad in high school. Okay. Then he went to BC, couldn't get the job, couldn't get the, the starting job there. Transferred back to Brown, where he's playing for his uncle. Okay. Who's huh. the head coach there? Um, very athletic kid, strong arm. Um, I know, and I think you do too, Mike, uh, Eric Galco, 
who runs the East-West Shrine game. And Eric had very positive things to say about how the kid conducted himself and carried himself the whole week there. Um, The kid, to me, stood out amongst the players there, not only a quarterback, but as one of the better overall players. Um, I've heard a few NFL teams whisper that this could be a guy that surprises people or surprises the media at the top of the fourth round. That there's really that, that high real, now i'm not saying it's definitely happening but right. i'm just telling you nfl teams are pretty high in the kid um they like a lot of things about him they are obviously the eight under nine hands is definitely an issue but the kid's got a live arm he's a hell of an athlete smart kid does a lot of things right so we'll see i think he's going to get drafted and that means he'll be in the nfl for a while but i in the cfl he'd be a rock star <laughs> top of the fourth is high and that is surprising, but I mean, I guess you would say like, there's like the, the quote unquote six quarterbacks, I guess, in this draft. Um, and then, you know, Perry's in there with guys like Zappy and LB and stuff like that. I, I guess we should probably consider him a notch above those guys. Well, I mean, I, and I haven't graded all of them. I'm just yeah. saying that's the whispers I'm hearing is that this is a guy who's going to be picked and yeah. quarterbacks almost always go higher than people expect if they are going to get picked because teams start panicking. They start yeah. saying, oh, wait, should we wait till the fifth or sixth? Eh, you know what? I'd rather grab him in the fourth. I don't want to miss on this quarterback. So it'll be interesting. I've heard a lot of people really are excited by his film. The big concern is just couldn't win the job at BC, and he has little hands. <laughs> the real useful title does say, would hope he was smart going to an Ivy League school and all. Um, but it's Brown. I mean, who, who really goes to <laughs> I'm sort of hoping my daughter gets in there. <laughs> I'll it's take not, any Ivy League school. It's not like the founder of Football Outsiders went to Brown or that my son's right, exactly. girlfriend goes to Brown or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but, but like, we all have to do the same thing. We have to compare him to Jay Fiedler, right? That's the rule. Yeah, exactly, right? right. Or, or Fitzpatrick. Yes. Oh, God. True. I, I did not know. I was not aware Ryan Fitzpatrick went to an Ivy League school. They should bring that up once in a while. Yeah, every <laughs> once in a while. I mean, I just look at EJ and I think, okay, even if he never becomes a star, how different is he than a Taylor Heineke? That he couldn't right. have a long career as a backup type guy. Right. Like a, a Heineke, Chase Daniel. I mean, something like that. Like, it's he has all of the tools for it. And if we assume, you know, he's, he's a fairly sharp guy, like, I, I don't know. Like, he, yeah, maybe he only throws 150 passes ever, but he'll 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 be good for you know 10 years catching checks. 13 yeah, years later, 186 million dollars in the bank. Exactly, right? There's We're no looking question. out for you, EJ Perry. Um, Russ, tell me about Eric Johnson. All right, so I knew nothing of this kid. I went out to the NFL PA game just sort of okay. trying to peek and look at guys that might slip through the cracks, and I always put small school guys at the All-Star Games, at the top of my list for guys that will slip through the CFL because they often do. Well, within about eight snaps of the first practice, I was like, well, I can cross this guy off. Not that he may (laughs) never play in the CFL, but he's going to get picked somewhere in the draft because he's big, he's twitchy, and he's strong. Um, His film, I then went and watched the film of him, and you sort of see what you expect for a, a freak athlete with size at a small school, which is dominance, Mm-hmm. surrounded by periods where he doesn't do anything. Okay. And that's part of the reason he's at a small school is he's still developing, but the twitchiness, the effort, the instincts, it's all there. Um, I think there's a lot of potential with this kid. I would love if I were a team, now I'm not trying to compare him to a player, but a team that played a player like Aaron Donald 
not so much the Rams, but other teams that play a penetrating guy that doesn't have to be 310 and just let him shoot gaps and use his strength and athleticism, this is the guy I'd be looking at because he's got a little twitch. And guys that are 290 to 300 twitch are hard to find. And that's what intrigues me about this kid. And he was very productive in a good lower-level football conference. Nice. Now, the collegiate bowl, by the way, that's that's the one in Austin? That no, this the NFLPA was in where was it this year? California. In California. Yeah. And that's one is is it an actual game at this point, or is that more of a showcase where it's mostly drills? It no, it's the whole nine yards. Okay, it's cool. uh yeah, this was a whole three days of padded practice and then a walkthrough and then a big game. And because the NFLPA backs it, you get some legitimate players in there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, I felt self-conscious about my choices of sleeper because I feel like everyone knows about everybody anymore. And this is Fayetteville, Fayetteville State cornerback Josh Williams. He is six foot three. He runs like the wind. I forget what he did at, 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 at his pro day, but it was something in the like below four four at the pro day. And uh, you know, I, I did some preliminary scouting. I looked at the games, and, and I have a hard time looking at D two footage. I have a hard time looking at Ivy League footage, et cetera, et cetera. Because, uh, you know, I'm not that skilled as a scout, and I'm just watching this guy who's like three steps faster than everybody else, and and he's just completely dominating at that level. And sometimes you're just watching an interception that looks like a NFL player walked onto a high school field. Yep. Interception. Well, well, think it, about it. He's covering guys that are going to be like you and I and Derek are going to go work real jobs and earn money in the real world as right. opposed to professional athletes. And that's what you see with guys like all three of these guys – at lower level competition, most of the teammates and opponents are guys that are going to work in banking or marketing or whatever yep. it may be. Right. And then after you watch, you see like the big splashy interception, then he doesn't get thrown, especially at cornerback. He'll get thrown to for the rest of the game. So how are you ever going to like evaluate? But I, you know, I watched enough to say, okay, they're throwing screens in front of him. He's explosive. He, he, he gets through a block. He takes out the ball carrier. He's got eyes. He's got awareness on what's in front of him in situations like that. Play to the other side of the field pursues the other side of the field, makes the tackle, shows the hustle play. So I don't know exactly about his technique or anything else like that, but he's that big, he's that fast, he hustles that hard, and, he, and he's and he got like a decent amount of awareness. Draft him third round, second round, whatever, and figure out the rest along the way. I mean, I think that like kind of energy and physicality is really important for a guy at a, at a smaller school like this because, you know, if it's a first round corner and let, let's say um, I'm not saying this is true of sauce Gardner. I'm saying like, let's yeah. say with sauce Gardner, maybe he's not the best tackler. He doesn't want to do it. Well, yeah. he could probably play man to man corner all the time. And those are hard to find. So you live yeah. with it when you're a, you know, day three guy from, you know, wherever Josh Williams is from, right. you better be able to do a little bit of everything. So the fact that he's really willing to do all that stuff is uh, that seems really good for his profile. And, you know, I think the thing that's interesting, and Mike, I hope I don't jump you here, but somebody just typed in about the habit of dominating the lower levels. Yes. I will tell you that is one of the big mistakes that people make is believing that players that get to the NFL are always dominant at the lower levels. A lot of the time it's the traits. If you look at some of the guys, there was a tackle out of Hillsdale College who went in the third round. And then I ended up playing about a decade in the NFL for the life of me. I can't remember him. Played for, I think, the Cardinals for a long time. Just retired a few years ago. He was not a great player at Hillsdale. But he was six foot seven with great feet, good athletic ability. And he was smart and competitive. He was just learning. And a lot of times hmm. those guys at the small schools are guys who develop late. And they got overlooked athletically because maybe they were too small coming out, whatever it may have been. 
So small school guys, and that, that's where your comment about it's hard to watch it. It is hard to watch small school players because right. if you don't see them live, it's hard to get the twitch. It's right. hard to get a feel for all those physical components because they're dominating nobodies, even when they're not dominant players. They're right. just dominant athletically. Right. So, yeah, small school scouting is a bear. And I'll tell you, if you're six foot and you can run and you're a good athlete, I don't care where you're playing you're going to get a shot in the NFL because there ain't enough humans on the planet who fit that mold. <laughs> and, and the trick is you wind up getting a false read too when these guys yes. dominate. And, and like I, like a lot of times it's sort of the tight end. Like it's, it's the six foot six tight end from the D2 school and you watch them and the guy covering him is like 5'11 and he's a future <laughs> uh, physical education instructor. And it's like, oh, he went up and he got the ball and he ran 60 yards for a touchdown. I was like, I've got no concept that that's really a read of anything along the way. It looks like high school film almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kyle Dugar, who's turned into a pretty good ball player for the Patriots, obviously. Um, when I watched his film, it was like you were watching like dogs running around in yards in the background of the film, and and and, and like uh, you know the soccer teams warming almost warming up in the end zone. Like this is such a small school, and so you're seeing this guy. And again, they're they're not throwing anywhere near his side of the field and everything. So you're seeing this athlete running around. And it's like, well, for every athlete that can do that at that level and becomes this guy, there's probably four or five or six guys where, you know, if I'm looking, I'm like, Oh yeah, give him an NFL shot. And you know, he's, he's just a, a he's just bigger than everybody else, you know? Yep. And that, and that's what makes the small school scouting so hard right. is there's a lot of dominant athletes playing against not nobody's, but players that aren't going to be professional athletes and right. trying to figure out the ones that can and the ones that can't, that's the hardest part. Now I also asked Derek and Russ and myself to pick a square peg. And I, didn't explain what a square peg was. Just sort of like like a, you know an oddball, someone who doesn't fit the mold, whatever it is. Just because we so we get something some diversity of opinions here, and so we all picked and we went all over the board. I think here with the square pegs, which is going to be very very interesting. So let's take a look at these now, and I'm going to start with Russ. I believe you went way up to the top of the square. <laughs> I did, you know, and it's not so much to knock Malik Willis. Um, I think physically, I don't think anybody doubts that athletically, arm strength-wise, there's a lot there. But I just keep hearing saints, 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 saints. And to me, you couldn't find a more square peg in a round hole just looking at, forget Drew Brees. Yes, Drew's a Hall of Famer. We know what he was. He was a pocket passer with a quick release and all that. But even the fact that right now they're saying Jameis is the guy. Well, Jameis is not an athletic guy who's going to make plays with his feet. Jameis is a pocket passer with a big arm mm -hmm. who hits all the throws. Well, right. Malik, to me, is a guy with a big arm who's a tremendous athlete, but he's not a pocket guy yet. He's a developmental pocket guy because there's a lot of potential there. And he's supposedly, from what I've been able to gather from people I know, is great kid, hard worker, understands football, all that. Well, to me, it's a little bit of a square peg in a round hole because unless I'm crazy – the Saints are not drafting a quarterback this year in the first round if they trade up so that he can sit for the next three years. They're hoping this year or next year he's the guy. Mm -hmm. And I look at him and that system, and I think it's not. it doesn't make a lot of sense, and it definitely doesn't make a lot of sense this year or next year. To me, he's going to need time to work into being that more traditional pocket passer. I think he's more of a guy that on the move has a little bit more Josh Allen than he does traditional sort of pocket passer traits. And I guess one thing we were talking about this last week, Derek. He's like the super tools traits guys, and yet yeah. he's like six foot one, so he's not necessarily like all the tools and traits you would you would expect. 
that's kind of the trickiest part to me is that like I understand, especially now with the way that the NFL has moved the past three, four years, like teams like re-obsessing the idea of tools and stuff, especially athletically. Yeah. Um, but you look at, you know, Josh Allen was obviously the big example, super incomplete player coming out of out of Wyoming. Right. But he was also built like Cam Newton. And so like when you're built like a monster, you kind of get like, okay, this yeah. guy's very clearly different than everybody else. There's like five people who look like this that can throw the ball. Malik right. Willis, he just doesn't have the height. And I think that's going to be a big issue. I mean, for as much as, you know, we've seen Drew Brees kind of overcome height, Russell Wilson, um, like it's just really hard to do. And ultimately, even like Russell Wilson doesn't throw the middle of the field very well because he doesn't see it very well. He's obviously incredible at like a billion other things. So it, right. it doesn't matter for him. Um, but that's like what you have to bank on with Willis. And, and to Russ's point, that's kind of a square peg. There's not a lot of dudes who have found success playing that kind of football. Right. Now, it's hard to find a better looking prospect than Malik Willis, but look at my <laughs> choice. Look at Xander Horvath. Look at that guy. He'd give Jimmy Garoppolo a run for his money with that square <laughs> jaw. And Xander Horvath, Purdue, running back, he's a square peg. I, I don't have him high on my draft board. He, you know, he would be like a sixth, seventh round pick. He's kind of a fullback running back tweener. I mean, he plays mostly a running back position at Purdue. But he is a giant shoulder pads, square to the line of scrimmage, take ball, smush it down their throat, old school, Big Ten, 1985 kind of running back. And at the pro day for Purdue, I guess I believe it was last week, he bench pressed, I forgot, I think it was 31 reps, reps. He bench pressed so as well as an offensive lineman generally bench presses at the scouting combine. And you know, I look at him, and the first thing I say is there's no place for you, Xander, in today's NFL because we don't use that kind of running back anymore, et cetera. And then I see two things. One is, you know, the Shanahan school, they do use fullbacks. And, and Xander can catch. He can do some of those things. The other thing is, and I, I don't want to butcher his first name, is it Samaje Perrine of the Bengals? Yeah. Sounds yeah. correct. Yeah. This was a guy who came out of uh, Oklahoma as sort of this giant, straight-ahead, no-nonsense thumper of a running back and he has carved out an issue. It was pretty productive for the Bengals this year as you know, the, the thunder back the coming off the bench and be that guy. You can catch a little bit. You can block it on third down. So you have like a diverse role and you can go out and help a really good team as like the number two guy or as the number three guy in a committee. And that's something I'm looking at when I look at Hoover's overall profile and his film, he could be as a late round pick. I mean, I think that's really interesting just off of the fact that like, honestly, it seems to me like, teams even outside of the Shanahan tree are like sort of dabbling in a little bit more two back stuff. And I think yeah. if you have this guy who's like sort of a hybrid fullback running back, that's like perfect. If you want to start dabbling in some of that stuff, especially too, you know, I haven't seen him, but like, especially if he can pass protect, I mean, you might have like a weird, nice little player that can, that can do some stuff for you. Right. Uh, oh, and Todd Singer, I did not pick Horvath just for you. I did not. <laughs> and I will for say you, those guys nowadays can be helpful. I mean, a yes, guy that can yeah. lead block on an occasion, can motion block, and yeah. can be productive carrying the ball and catching the ball. There's value in your mm -hmm. backup third guy. Right. And teams are using, like, the, the, the backup tight end or the number three tight end for that a lot. Why? 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 When you can use somebody who's more of a ball handler in that position. Exactly. No, but that's exactly it. Hopefully teams will start reverting and finding those guys and using them more. I agree. I agree. Now, tell me about Iowa State. You put air quotes on it in our notes. Linebacker. I hope that's not too derogative. Tell me about linebacker Mike Lake. 
So the problem is it, it's almost not really with him. It's more just like the way that Iowa State's defense functions. Um, so Mike Rose, he one, he's like six four, which honestly to me is like a little weird for a linebacker in the modern era. Um, you know, I think back, you know, 20, 30 years ago when guys were playing a lot bigger, it made more sense. But I think guys just need to run now. And I think he doesn't quite have that. But I think what's weird about his projection is that at Iowa State, he was almost playing like a nickel in a lot of the in, in a lot of cases like he was like way outside the tackles um basically splitting the difference between whoever the slot was and whoever the, the tackle was mm-hmm. which really is not like where you're going to be playing every down as a linebacker um so it just makes his projection incredibly murky he really doesn't have that many snaps as like a stack linebacker that you would play traditionally in the nfl and so i think it just makes like it, it makes his projection almost entirely on traits and then he's this guy who's like probably oversized for the current, you know, what teams are looking for out of a linebacker and also isn't the greatest runner. So he's just like this super weird amalgamation of of skill set and projection. Um, so he's just he does some nice things, but it's just like such a bizarre player to me. It almost sounds like a guy that was a fit 15 years ago. Yeah. But, like he, he, but, he but does he have a home now? Been. Exactly. I I would almost be more interested to see if you could like put him on the ball as like a Sam or something. It's like he's fairly physical and just like he's just, yeah, like I said, very bizarre player. One of the things that really I struggle with now when I watch some of these guys is he's the positionless defender in college where you see him on the edge for a while and then suddenly he's covering man in the slot and he's not good at it. (laughs) <laughs> well, well, so that's the, that's what makes it weird. Like he is like effectively playing the same position that JOK was playing at Notre Dame. Okay. But, you know, it makes sense when you're JOK when you're like yeah. almost slot corner sized and you're yes. basically playing slot. You're like, OK, that makes sense. Mike Rose is built like a 2005 linebacker, but he's <laughs> basically playing in the slot. It's like, OK, this doesn't make sense in my brain. It works for Iowa State. I don't know if it's going to work, you know, for if the Panthers draft him or whatever. Right. I, I will add. Now, given it's not 100% ever, but the history over the last, say, 25 years of players that now I have, like I said, I haven't looked at this kid, so maybe he is strictly an off the ball linebacker, but guys that get moved in a bunch of different spots and line up 30% at one, 30 at another, 15 here, 15 there, a huge failure. Yeah. Because they come into the league and you're constantly trying to find a fit. And the Isaiah Simmons kid may be the most recent example of a guy yeah. that. They're still trying to figure out where he fits. And it's not that he's not athletic or instinctive or work hard enough. They just can't seem to figure out where does he fit best to get him to be really productive. And draft Twitter loves those guys. Oh, 100% because they can be used everywhere. Yeah. They're a Swiss Army knife. Well, it's a Swiss Army knife. You can use them everywhere and you're watching them. And it's like they can cover the slowest, you know, ACC slot receiver tight end if they have to. They can get a sack unblocked. I'm, I'm, again, this is not Mike Rose we're talking about. We're talking about like a style of player here. Yeah, they can get a sack if they're unblocked coming off the edge. Except it's like they're probably not a Swiss Army knife at this point. They're probably a guy that was one of the better guys at their program, but they're going to have to come to the NFL and do something specific well. Exactly. In the not, NFL, oh. we're not looking for guys that are adequate. Mm-hmm. We're not looking for guys that are okay in a lot of areas. We're looking guys that are athletic enough to – play and make impact plays. There aren't that many humans on the planet who can influence an NFL game. So to find guys that are just okay to me, I just, I don't know. Now I'm not, like I said, I haven't seen this kid, but it doesn't scream out. This guy's going to be a long-term player in the NFL, unless he's a hell of a team's guy. And the last thing I would add is like, 
I honestly feel like it makes more sense to try to find Swiss Army Knights on offense because you get to dictate what you're doing. So, like, it, it makes more sense that way where you get to dictate exactly how this guy is being used, all that stuff. On defense, you're you obviously like have some degree of dictation, but like ultimately you're responding to what the offense is doing. So it's a little trickier to like use these Swiss army knife types. Oh, especially because on defense it's reactionary. So it's right. instincts. Whereas a guy could be a Swiss army knife on offense, have no instincts and you just put him in position, throw him the ball and you don't exactly. have to worry about all that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, exactly. He's not going like, to be put in a bind as he put, put a zone right to the zone. He's like, where's the ball going? Exactly. So those are our square pegs. Now, there was a person I thought somebody was going to pick for a square peg. Fortunately, they're going to come up in our mock draft. I saw, I took a peek at our mock drafts. And uh, today, our next segment is Fix the Franchise. And every week, we take a team, and we try to do a three-round mock draft for them to repair that team. And in the past, we've done teams with multiple picks. Didn't have the time this week to whip one up for the New Orleans Saints here because that happened a little quickly. This week's team are, that's right, the Eternal Champions, the mighty New England Patriots. Yes, the Patriots might need a little fixing here, folks, because the Patriots still have a lot of needs, okay? And I listed a couple of them that, that I think still apply for the team. Wide receiver, I know they they uh, traded for Devontae Parker, uh, you know, the, the all-time greatest minicamp receiver in Miami Dolphins history. He's now proudly a member of the New, New England Patriots, probably still have a need there. They got a need at linebacker where they're aging and they've some guys have been swapped out. Lost some pieces at guard, most notably Shaq Mason, uh, over the offseason, and lost some pieces at cornerback uh, in the offseason. J.C. Jackson is gone. Malcolm Butler is back, but that's not necessarily a uh, a, a, a plus. Oh, Patrick has a question. Can Russ say if Drew Desjardins is a good pickup? CFL. I will tell you, yes. He yes. he he is a good pickup. Um, normally. Offense linemen from the CFL or, or especially interior guys are not particularly athletic. Um, a lot of them are really smart positional technique guys. This kid's a really athletic kid. He can run. He can turn the corner. He can adjust out in space. Um, love the pickup. I think if he can get a year, if they'll give him a year on the PR so we can bulk up. He's about 300, but he's not used to the giants he's going to be blocking in the NFL. That's going to be his biggest adjustment is – oh, wow, this 300-pounder can pick me up and throw me? I've not dealt with that before. How do I deal with that? If he can adjust to that, I think he has a very, very good chance to develop. He's a smart kid. He's athletic, super competitive, plays with a real edge. Um, yeah, I love the signing. I actually texted my two buddies in New England after they got him. I was like, so pumped you guys got him, especially because you got him out of our league. So we have less players we got to compete against. And they both seem very positive about uh, – bringing in a sort of a guy that they view sort of as a, a potential long-term guy who could develop. Right. That's, Bill Belichick is still doing it. He's still getting guys from the CFL, the lacrosse fields, et cetera. The guy's amazing. People can say what they want. I know they had a down year yeah. in terms of uh, whatever may be going on, but I don't care what you say. Six Super Bowls. Yeah. The, I don't know how many years, what, 17 of the last 18 with double-digit wins that never has been done before. I mean, there's some pretty amazing stuff going on there. It's uh, yeah. To spend a day there, I could probably learn more than I have in the last decade of football. 
Amazing. And we're glad you did that so no one will accuse us of disrespecting the Patriots' legacy by suggesting they have any needs whatsoever in the draft. But we each, uh, we each picked a three-round mock draft, and we'll start with Russ's. We'll start with Russ's mock draft here, um, and let's take a look at who you selected. And I like this. There's a couple guys right at the beginning, including one of the guys I think of as a square peg in Troy Anderson. Uh, well, tell me first about Travis Jones. Well, I'm going to disappoint you a little bit because I actually had a different name I sent over. So oh, I think really? they might have accidentally typed oh, in the wrong buddy. guy. I had the Tyler Lindenbaum, Linderbaum, oh, yes. who's from Iowa, and Even he's better. an offensive lineman. But that's all right. Um, in terms of what I think they need, you mentioned the guard. Um, mm-hmm. They brought in the kid from the CFL because they're looking. David Andrews has been there forever. Linderbaum is an athletic, powerful kid. Not only is he that, but he plays at Iowa. And one of the strongest connections in the whole football world is between Belichick and Iowa and Belichick and Alabama. He mm-hmm. and Coach Ferentz are close. There's a bond there. They carry a very similar culture belief. I think this kid would be a great guy. Whether he starts as a rookie, I can't say. But I think by year two, he will be able to challenge for starting at guard. Or if Andrews calls it a career, he could take over at center. Um, he's a guy I think has a bright future. The Troy Anderson guy to me, he's very unique. And you know, it's funny. We just talked about the Swiss Army knife yeah. not really being what you want. The right. issue is New England loves Swiss Army knives. That's their belief on defense is they want guys to move around. This guy moves around. He can play Mike. He can play Will. He can blitz off the edge. He's a super athletic kid who plays like his hair's on fire. Um, <laughs> really like this kid. Didn't know a ton about him, but I went and looked at one of their teammates, one of his teammates there, a Dan Hardy kid. Because NFL teams are saying this is a guy you should peek at as a possible slip through guy. And every time I was watching the film, this number 15 was making tackles all over the place. So I said, <laughs> I got to grade this kid, even though I'm sure he's never coming to the CFL. And I think he'd be a perfect fit for the Patriots because the way he plays, clearly he's smart. You can tell that on film. And the Patriots' defense is complex. Um, at corner, I love this kid, McCollum, out of UTEP. This is a kid that I like a lot because he's physical, but he's also long and athletic and can run. And in the Patriot system, they're either going to jump you or they're going to sit off the ball. And this kid can do both those things. Um, I like a lot of things about this kid. He plays with that edge. And I like the fact that for a corner, he's not afraid to stick his nose in there. He'll take on bigger guys when he has to cover tight ends and such. He's a guy that I was hoping when another guy tipped him off to me as a, hey, you should peek at this kid. He's a CFL corner. I put the game, the film on. I said, no, this guy's going to the NFL. And I confirmed that with checking with Jim Maggie, and he said he'd already accepted the senior bowl. Right. So I was able to cross him off pretty quickly as the guy that was not coming to the CFL this year. And we're big Linderbaum stands here, right, Derek? I mean, he's, he's the best. He's the best interior lineman in the class, I think. He's, he's insane. Yeah, I think he'd be such a great fit in New England with what they ask of their linemen, what they ask of players within their building. I just think he'd be the perfect. And Patrick Sealy points out Ronnie Perkins, Mac Wilson, Cameron Rago, maybe Anthony Jenkins is our linebackers that might play in in, in New England. I don't think that they're totally barren at that position. I think Mac Wilson is, you know, somebody I think he can play. They need depth. And I think, uh, I know I as well went with the second round linebacker to get that sort of traitsy guy that can kind of do, because there's so many different roles at linebacker in that system. And like, like, you know, like that old Vrabel type of role where you're an edge sometimes, or, you know, you have that more of that high tower role where you're just between the tackles and all. 
So I, th- I think we all think that that's one of the places they could potentially upgrade, especially in a very deep class of that position. No question. I mean, if you're going to look for a linebacker in the second round, this is a great draft to be addressing it. There's a lot of players in that second and third round area that you could bring in, especially in the Patriots system. Right. I absolutely agree on that really quick. Like the day two linebackers are really, really fun. There's like probably almost 10 of them that I, I could see going in that range that are could be good players. Yeah, and we were chit-chatting, I think, on Twitter, Derek, that like some of the major mock drafts have a linebacker going to the Patriots. Mm-hmm. First of all, and I don't think that's off the table by any means, but it doesn't seem to reflect the, their their needs or what they're what they're approaching this year. Let's go to your mock draft, Derek. Let's go. I mean, speaking of first round linebackers, I think I put one in here. Did you, <laughs> did you put Dean in here? Is this? Are we going to see Nicole? There he yeah, is. Dean. Yeah. So Dean, to me, um, I mean, off the board, off the bat, I think he's just the best linebacker. Um, period. Um, I just think his speed. Um, his contact balance is actually what fascinates me most because he's obviously a smaller guy. I think he's only like six foot, 225, which is probably a little small for what they like. But the way that he can balance, bend, and fight through contact is honestly rare, not even for a linebacker his size, but just like for a linebacker. So I think the size thing is not really going to be that big of an issue for him. Um, and honestly, why I kind of like him here is this is not going to sound like it's a great compliment, but it is to me because I love the player I'm comparing him to. He's like a supercharged, super freak version of a Landon Roberts, who obviously was in New England previously. Right. Um, so I think if you can get basically just a super monster version of a Landon Roberts, <laughs> I, I would imagine that Belichick is very happy with that. <laughs> nice. And who else we got? Cameron Thomas. Yeah, Cameron Thomas, um, kind of a weird player to me. Um, but again, that's what the Patriots like. He's one of those guys who is like kind of an edge player, kind of can kick inside to like four and three tech and stuff like that. Um, I mean, he did it all in college. He, he played basically everything for San Diego State at, at a certain point in his career. So um, I think he has like decent bend for his size. Um, I think he's just like a really smart, uh, quick player. And I think for a front that likes to move some of their guys around a lot and a team that needs some sort of, um, I mean, truthfully, both edge and defensive line help. I think he could be a guy who like, maybe they want to see, you know, fit both of those holes. And that really is that with them is that the pure, pure edge that we think of just screaming off, like from the wide nine, they do use that sometimes. A lot of times they like, they like home grow a player for that role or they move a guy into that role. When they want defensive linemen, they want the vers- the gap versatility there. Mm-hmm. Um, no question. Now, now, Shakir is somebody I really liked early in the process. And you talk about guys falling through the cracks, like Mechie falling through the cracks a little bit. For me, he's somebody who's kind of falling through the cracks with all the buzz around all these other receivers. Yeah, I mean, and that was kind of just the thing. Like, at this point, I don't know if he's necessarily the best fit for what they need. I mean, I think they need, like, a true, true speedster. You know, uh, if Jameson Williams was there at 21 in the first round, like, I think they should consider that. I think they need somebody who opens up the offense. But ultimately, I think he is – you know, I ran one of those mock draft simulations or whatever, and I think Shakir yeah. is just way better than pick 85. Um, and so the fact that he was there, I think it was just at a certain point, they need receiver talent. He was the best on the board. Take the swing and see what happens. He, he was kind of a, a little bit of a slash player, right? He was another guy who wound up at Wildcat and things like that, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. I mean, he's a really good athlete, um, and I think he's really like a really smart player. I think he almost in some ways is probably going to have some overlap with Jacoby Myers. I think he's more athletic than that, um, but they would probably feel like similar ish roles, um, which might be weird. But again, I think he's just better than this pick. Um, And after a certain point, they need to just take receiver talent. Right. Right. I agree. Although I did not mock a wide receiver to the Patriots. Um, 
but this my my, my uh, mock drafts gonna look like an amalgam a little bit of your mock drafts uh, for the Patriots because. Uh, like you, Derek, I was thinking in terms of sort of that multi-purpose defensive lineman. And like you, I was thinking about Georgia for whatever reason. But my mock draft starts out with Devontae Wyatt. Okay. Devontae Wyatt obviously needs no introduction. It's another one of those questions like, will he be there at this pick uh, when they pick? But uh, but again, you reach this point where like the entire – defensive line of Georgia can't all be picked in the first six picks, even though it seems like they might, <laughs> might do that. And, and, you know, he's the guy, you know, I think of as a three tech. Okay. But could he play it, play the end with somebody overhanging on the outside? Yeah, he can. Can he move into the one from time to time? Yeah. Is this the kind of player they've had a lot of success with in the past? Absolutely. Going to skip to the end. You can see my Joshua Williams, my guy there, uh, Russ, you were talking about how they use their cornerbacks. You're either off the ball. You're either Otis, my man Smith and you're way back in coverage or you're in a press, Joshua Williams at six foot three could wind up the guy in the press, but if he's pressed into service as a young player coming out of Fayetteville State, he might be the guy, sit back, watch, you know, don't let anybody pass you, and then if someone's coming in front of you, go get him. I think he can play that role, and he's going to be a value there. And Chad Muma, this is like the Chad Muma fan cast. Dude, I love <laughs> him, man. I, I love Chad Muma. Dude, he's just – I mean, I know this is your mock draft, but I love Chad Muma. I mean, just – his energy is incredible, insanely smart player, takes on blocks uh, fairly well. Like he, it's, it's a hot take, but it would not surprise me if he ends up like the best linebacker in the class. I would still take a couple of guys over him, but like there's a world where he's the best and it wouldn't surprise me that much. He's to me one of the more intriguing linebackers. He, he, there just aren't many guys with the versatility and athletic yeah. ability. This guy can make plays. At 400 miles an hour, he explodes to the ball. I like a lot of the things that this kid does. He reminds me a little bit of the kid from Iowa years ago, Chad Greenway, and that he can be versatile in every aspect that he's used. Right. And Patrick Silly raises, I think, an accurate point here. The Patriots need cornerbacks. There's no question there. And they don't necessarily need defensive linemen. Barmore and Godshow are, are very, very good players. A couple things happen. Like, I go to the mock draft simulators – and the cornerback, the, co- the top two or three cornerbacks come off the board in the first round. Like, there's no way Stingley and Saucer there. A couple of the other kids, the, the, the kid from Clemson's usually off the board by then. So that's one of the things that impacts it. The other thing I try to work with when I'm drafting for the Patriots is sort of their draft history. They pick defensive linemen. So like, I, I'm like, I don't want to put a wide receiver in there, even though that's a need because it's a meme. First of all, they don't take a lot of wide receivers. Secondly, the poor wide receiver they take winds up stinking. Um, and secondly, well, they're, yeah, they're a little like the Steelers in that right. they really still believe the trenches, the trenches, the trenches. Yes. So D line is always an area they look at. And, and honestly, like we know Belichick, he loves to game his fronts in very particular ways against certain teams. So like he might roll out an entirely different lineup against one team, you know, one week and then a different one the next week. And I think a guy like Wyatt, like you were mentioning, Mike, probably his home is three tech. Like you can play him at four or five. You can play him at one. You can play him at zero. Like you can play him literally wherever. So I think a guy like that Belichick's going to love. And then like, you know, I think Barmore's fantastic. Godshaw is like a fine starter, but I would not be surprised if they're trying to upgrade over him, especially like if you, you know, at that point, if Wyatt comes in and starts and, you know, Godshow becomes more of like a rotational guy, you like heavily index for rundowns. I almost think that makes their front as a whole a lot better. 
I agree. And it's just, uh, I habitually don't draft for need also like necessarily when I'm, when I'm trying to simulate the experience of the, uh, of the new England Patriots, I'm just trying to look up real quick. I know they have, they've, they've, they've taken cornerbacks high. That's, that's not a, a question. Um, but I haven't seen a first round cornerback in a while. Anyway, it's something they absolutely could do this year. And this is a deep class of cornerback, right guys? Yes, no doubt. Right. Anyway, we have solved the world's problems. We have fixed the New England Patriots by adding a bunch of defensive players. Uh, and um, I think it's about time to wrap up here. It is 2 o'clock. Um, Russ, where can folks find you? Um, generally, traveling around the country trying to find yes. football players. Um, at Russ Landy on Twitter. Uh, yes. But other than that, just uh, check out Twitter. That's really where all I do my social media because I'm so busy watching film and trying to make sure I find some good players to make my bosses happy. But uh, that's pretty much my life. That's right. You are in a war room, so you can't necessarily come out too often. No, no, that's right. I'm, I'm always trying to look at the best NFL draft prospects yes. just so I can look at their teammates and see which ones might slip through the cracks. <laughs> and that's the thing, the theme of this, when all the rest of us are saying, yes, he's draftable, you're stuck saying, oh no, he's draftable. Yes, exactly. Yes. When, when I found a player this year, um, a quarterback and I was like, Oh, I really like this kid. I think he's got a chance. And I asked some NFL people and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's getting drafted. And I was like, yeah. dang gummit. Thought I found a kid that nobody knew about. So. <laughs> and you can't even say it here because next thing you know, <laughs> no, that'll that I've got a few guys I found this year that nobody knows about that. I'm hoping to sneak up to Canada, <laughs> but, uh, this, this one guy now teams already know about him. Unfortunately, for, for from your lips to Arthur, uh, Smith's ears and, Derek, what's, <laughs> what's coming up on uh, Football Outsiders? Yeah, so this week, um, probably tomorrow, will be the the draft room when I'm doing Kenny Pickett this week. Um, oh, sneak yes. Preview, sneak preview is that he is both the best and the worst quarterback in the class to me. <laughs> and and it's just, we'll see which which part of the spectrum he turns out on. And anyone who has followed at QB class, K-L-A-S-S, on Twitter, knows Derek has been on a journey <laughs> several days on Twitter with Kenny Pickett and you can go look and you can check the thread out there and probably get a hint of where he's going, but then you have to come to football outsiders and get the real information of where he finally landed in this journey. Um, uh, don't forget everybody that all of football outsiders, NFL draft coverage, including my three round mock draft, which I believe is coming Monday. If there are no more trades, all of our draft coverage is presented by underdog fantasy and you can use the promo code F O 40. That's F O four zero at underdog to double your deposit up to $100. Links to Underdog Fantasy can be found in the description of this video below. So come play with us about NFL stuff, NBA stuff. I'm going to check because I think there's some master stuff for the end of the week. Come check in and hang out with us at Underdog Fantasy. For Russ Landy, for Derek Klassen, I'm Mike Tanier for Football Outsiders and Edge Sports. Take care, everybody. I'll see you on Thursday, and we'll see you next week.